This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Sarah Mueller, reporting from Tallahassee, where it's a busy day in the legislature. House committees are considering bills to loosen regulations on wine containers and craft distilleries and allow college athletes to be compensated for the use of their names, images, and likenesses. Senators will consider repealing the Best and Brightest Bonus Program for teachers and create early release programs for elderly and seriously ill inmates. The 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta will hear arguments today over the implementation of Amendment 4, which restored voting rights for former felons. LGBTQ advocates visit the state capitol to speak out against a spate of legislation they say is blatantly discriminatory. The head of a teacher's association says she believes a measure sponsored by Republican State Representative Jamie Grant is meant to cripple labor unions. The Florida Coalition for Children is highlighting a study that shows Florida is in the top 10 best-performing states for caring for children in foster care. On the Sunrise interview, Rick Flagg talks with the sheriff of Pinellas County about something new, the Florida Sheriff's Research Institute. Law enforcement has created its own think tank to push back on some of the criminal justice reforms being discussed in the legislature. We'll also have your calendar of events in our regular report on Florida Man. And now, here's your top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, January 28th. The 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in Atlanta will hear arguments today in a legal battle about how the state is carrying out a 2018 constitutional amendment that restores voting rights to felons who have completed the terms of their sentences. Last year, the legislature passed a bill requiring felons to pay all legal financial obligations, like restitution, fines, and fees, before they could have their voting rights restored. Civil rights and voting rights groups responded with a federal lawsuit, arguing in part that linking voting rights and financial obligations amounts to an unconstitutional poll tax. In October, U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle ruled that Florida cannot deny the right to vote to felons who have served their sentences and are genuinely unable to pay legal financial obligations. The DeSantis administration is appealing that decision. Equality Florida is calling on state lawmakers to pass protections for LGBTQ Floridians in this legislative session. The Florida Competitive Workforce Act has been filed every session for about a decade. It would prohibit discrimination statewide based on sexual orientation or gender identity in employment, housing, and public accommodations. But advocates say the legislation doesn't have the support of committee chairs or leadership in either chamber. And they sharply criticized the movement of bills they say threaten local anti-discrimination laws protecting the LGBTQ community. As introduced, the bills would ban sex change surgeries for transgender children, repeal municipal and county ordinances protecting LGBTQ workers, and legalize so-called gay conversion therapy in places that had banned the medically dubious practice. But as Democratic State Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith noted, some of the bill's sponsors have filed amendments to address concerns. It wasn't their intent, but 
many local non-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people were caught up in their preemptions. But Smith and State Representative Chevron Jones, who are both openly gay, blasted the transgender legislation sponsored by Republican State Representative Anthony Sabatini and State Senator Dennis Baxley as harmful. Jones points out that under the bill, a doctor that performs a gender-related surgery on a child could face up to 15 years in prison. I'm sad standing here today because looking at the transgender bill that was filed in a legislative body who profess that you want to unclog the criminal justice system, but yet and still you want to give doctors 15 years Shame on you. Advocates also say state funding shouldn't go to schools that don't accept LGBTQ students or parents. Democratic State Representative Anna Eskamani has legislation that would end school choice vouchers going to those schools. The Hillsborough Classroom Teachers Association is blasting legislation by Representative Jamie Grant that its executive director, Stephanie Baxter Jenkins, says is union busting. HB1 would require public unions like teachers, police, and firefighters to collect signed authorization forms every year, saying their workers want to join the union and pay the dues. It would also require unions to cancel an employee's membership and stop collecting dues if they get a written request. Baxter Jenkins says it's a clear indication certain lawmakers are targeting teachers' unions. She says the state has shown very clearly that it's intent on privatizing the public school system. Grant argues his bill simply protects employees. It would also bar unions from asking workers why they want to leave the union or about political affiliation. The legislation passed its first committee and has one more stop before heading to a floor vote. A national study published by the Texas Public Policy Foundation shows that Florida ranked six among the top 10 best-performing states in the outcomes of foster kids or kids at risk of entering foster care. Florida ranked second for how quickly the state was able to find a permanent home for children through reunification with their parents or adoption. Florida also ranked in the top 20 for reducing abuse and neglect. Andrew Brown with Texas Public Policy Foundation says his center works to strengthen families. He says Florida has distinguished itself as a national leader in innovation and achievement that other states would do well to follow. Florida is right for kids. In nearly every indicator we looked at, Florida distinguished itself as a top performer, and you have achieved this through a unique combination of clear vision, a commitment to innovation, and unparalleled community collaboration. The study looked at seven outcomes related to safety, permanency, stability, and older youth in foster care. Florida Coalition for Children says the study findings lend credence to the idea that unique state demographics, like population or wealth, are not major drivers of how well that state's child welfare system functions. Next up, the Sunrise Interview, as Rick Flagg sits down with the president of the Florida Sheriff's Association to talk about their new think tank, which doesn't think much of some of the criminal justice reforms being debated in the Capitol. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. If you live along the I-4 corridor, learn to use your business experience to impact public policy. 
Apply today to the Central Florida Political Leadership Institute at cflpli.org. The Orlando Economic Partnership offers this free nonpartisan program for business-minded leaders to explore whether elected or appointed office is right for them, discover political strategies to succeed and lead, and join a network of influencers. Apply by February 21st. Visit cflpli.org. That's cflpli.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is, well, he's a well-known figure at the Capitol. You always see him in his green uniform, but today he's wearing a suit, so it's sort of a treat for us. Bob Galtieri is the Pinellas County Sheriff. He's also the president of the Florida Sheriff's Association, and he's here to tell us about something brand new called the Florida Sheriff's Association Research Institute. Thanks for joining us today, Sheriff. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here. Now, tell me what this institute is all about. Well, it's all about... uh Finding the right balance of objective fact uh, to get the message out. Uh, what we have found is, is there's a lot of uh, information, if you will, uh, probably anecdotal information that's floating around out there about what works and what doesn't work uh, in the criminal justice system. And we think it's important that people know uh, with objective fact what the situation is. So the whole idea is to research it and put the information out. Now, we've already got what Tax Watch has a think tank. James Madison has a think tank. Americans for Progress has a think tank. The Institute for... Smarter Justice, OPAGA, none of those think tanks are doing it for you, huh? Well, no. You know, when you talk to the majority of the public and you ask them a question along these lines, how many people do you think, by percentage, are inmates in the Florida Department of Corrections in the state prison system? And inevitably, uh, when we ask that to the public, we get responses of, oh, 50, 60, 70 percent. You know how, what the percentage is? It's 12.7 percent. So it's a false narrative. And you know, a lot of these... Uh, Think tanks, a lot of these groups are putting out uh, information, but it's got a little bit of a twist to it. And what we want to do is make sure that we're putting out information that is straight on accurate information, factual information. And you've got your first report coming out today, and it's looking at the minimum mandatories and, well, truth and sentencing. Right. What'd you find there? Well, uh, what we found is Ford is not broken. Uh, Ford is actually uh, doing it well, and uh, Ford's requirement uh, that these convicted felons. Uh, actually uh, serve the time that the judges thought was the right amount of sentence given the crimes in the background. So 85 percent in Florida. And uh, the majority of the states uh, have some form uh, of uh, minimum requirement. And But the narrative is, is that the, the system in Florida is broken. The system in Florida is not broken. We're at almost a 50-year low in crime. That's not a mistake. That's not an accident. That's because of good laws, good policies, and good old-fashioned boots-on-the-ground police work. So uh, we want to make sure that we're getting that word out. And you think that that crime rate is down because of the 85% rule that says inmates must serve 85% of their time? No doubt. Is that, you know, prison's not a nice place. It's not supposed to be. And what we find is, is that what the, the data shows actually is, is that people who get longer sentences, they don't come back. Uh, and so the, that resonates, that works. Uh, and, and, you know, you got to strike a chord. You, know, you got to strike a balance. And, and the balance is recognizing that there are some people out there that are first time offenders. People have bumps in the road. People make mistakes in life. And then you got some bad people. And 95 percent, 
95% of all the inmates in the state prison system are repeat offenders. We're not talking about first-time people who made a mistake. There's a big difference, and, and that's why we support diversion programs, and we support all those things that are smart and treating people the right way. But when they've been arrested 6, 7, 8, 10, 15, 20 times, there need to be consequences, and we have to separate that. We, and so it, it does work, and we got to keep the community safe. What do you think of this whole notion that's popular now of restorative justice? Is that a valid thing? Anytime that anybody who has committed a crime successfully, successfully reenters a uh, population, reenters the community, that is public safety. We don't want them reoffending. And so we, we support uh, all of those things that are going to help them succeed. And whether it's life skills and jobs training and education and all of those things uh, to get them in the right place, that's a win for everybody. So we support that. Uh, but at the same time is, is that uh, there has to be consequences. And when a judge looks at somebody, considers the law, considers the facts, considers the evidence, and importantly, considers the victim, and the judge says, in my best judgment, is that the sentence you should serve is 10 years in the Florida Department of Corrections, that doesn't mean six. And we can't go back to a time where you have judges that are sentencing to one thing and the sentence that's actually served is substantially different. Ten doesn't mean six. Ten means ten. And uh, there have to be consequences for actions, but at the same time, we want people never to come back. So we want to help them uh, so that they uh, can succeed uh, when they get done uh, with that appropriate sentence. Now, over the years that I've been covering the legislature, there was never any problem before. It was like law enforcement was would had, had credibility. No one was talking about lighter sentences or anything like that. But now there seems to be this this feeling in the legislature that maybe the criminal justice system has gone a little too far. What is going on? I think it goes back to that narrative. And some of it's a false narrative. I mean, you have people thinking that you have uh, individuals that are drug addicts, drug users, uh, first-time drug offenders, people with just possession of drugs, and they're going to, they're going to prison. And that's not the case. Here's a stat for you, is that there are about 95,000 inmates in the state, state prison system in Florida. Of those 95,000 inmates, only 65 are first-time drug offenders. So it's just not true. And, and of those 65, every single one of them has a prior criminal history that just hasn't landed them in the state prison system. They've been in the county jails and they've had other sanctions. So this whole notion that we're messed up, we're doing it wrong, it's unfair, is a, it's a false narrative. 65 out of 95,000, that doesn't hold water for the, the narrative that people are putting out there and why, well, we got to do it differently. We got to do it uh, uh, some other way. Now, what is true is, is that there are challenges in the Florida Department of Corrections is as far as staffing goes, as far as funding goes, as far as infrastructure goes. But that doesn't mean you open the back door and just push everybody out because you got infrastructure needs. Uh, that it, it doesn't work that way. And uh, public safety is paramount. And one of the ways we affect good public safety is to keep the people off the street who are committing the crime. So are you saying there that our problem now is that lawmakers are trying to do corrections on the cheap? Well, I, I think that 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 is a uh, an issue that they that they uh, face, and some some 
are suggesting that uh, a solution to this is, is to let some of these people out so they can close some facilities. And that's what we oppose. So there are some uh, that uh, support that notion. But again, remember, 95% of the people in the Florida Department of Corrections are repeat offenders. And only 12.7%, so we'll round it to 13, are drug offenders. Majority of them have committed violent crime or they're thieves. And they're breaking into your homes, they're stealing your cars, they're doing bad acts. Um, you know, under the current bills that are filed this year, they say, oh, well, this isn't a problem. Because taken from 85 to 65%, those people who are nonviolent offenders, well, you know, in that definition they have of nonviolent offenders, it includes sexual predators, it includes people who have committed armed trafficking with drugs. There's all kinds of offenses that really are crimes of violence. It isn't what they purport it to be. They, they sell it as being, oh, this is no big deal. This is a bunch of whole, you know, uh, one-time people, uh, first-time offenders, just minor drug possession. This is no big deal. But what about the guy at 3 o'clock in the morning that broke into your home when your family's sleeping, your kids are sleeping, that's stealing your stuff? That's not an inconsequential crime. That's a very significant crime. So, you know, these people, we don't need to be taking it from what the judge says at 10 years. Oh, well, just do 6.5 and don't worry about it. No, it, it shouldn't work that way. What about relaxing some of the minimum mandatories? I, I, Senator Bradley's bill talks about getting some, rid of these in some minor cases, but I kind of get the feeling you're not a fan of that bill. No, uh, you, you know, there, there's certain aspects of it uh, that we might be able to live with. But, you know, right now, the Florida Sheriff's Association uh, as a whole is not in support of it. Um, uh, it's kind of a here's an interesting I guess, uh, to some degree, I guess some sort of a, a, an oxymoron between this, because the advocates say is that let the judges sentence. The judges are best positioned, and we should eliminate uh, minimum mandatories, and because the judges get it right. And so don't have a statutory minimum mandatory, is let the judge decide, and let that judge use the best discretion because they know the facts and the law. But now we're over here on the other side, and the judge did all of that, and use the best discretion. The judge said 10 years. Well, don't make it 10 years. Make it six and a half years. You can't have it both ways. Uh, you know, can't have your cake and eat it too. So there is absolutely a place for minimum mandatories. There's a potentially you know, room for some discussion uh, about maybe some very minor exceptions. Maybe. Uh, but uh, doing away with minimum mandatories uh, would be a horrible mistake because then we go back to the time where you're in uh, one county. Uh, let's say you're in Broward County, as an example, uh, and you engage in certain activity and you get six months in the county jail. You go to another county, I'm just using this as examples, uh, you know, Orange, let's say, well, you get five years for the same thing. That's not, that's not right. The criminal justice system, to be fair, should be consistent and there should be consistency across the board. And that's what minimum mandatories provide. And I have to tell you, that, you know, on that, I was around when we had the whole dis sentencing disparity thing and it caused all sorts of chaos in the system. Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not good. You know, we need to be consistent. And, you know, and the reality is, too, is, is that on one side, you, you have some judges given, and that's why we have sentencing guidelines and that's why we have the structure. You have some judges that would be considered uh, draconian in their sentencing. You give people inordinate hard sentences. Then on the other side of the spectrum, you got judges that would just be very, very soft and give people nothing. This is why we have sentencing guidelines. This is why we have minimum mandatory. So we have some, some structure that allows for some degree of discretion, but within certain bookends. As part of your duties with the FSA, you were also the head of the, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Commission. And I'm wondering, is there 
something yet to be done? Has the legislature left some of their work on the table that needs to be addressed this year? Well, uh, you know, there's a bill that's out. It's uh, Senate Bill 7040 uh, that picks up a lot of the recommendations from the commission. Uh, we submitted that report uh, to the governor and the legislature on November 1st of well, last year of 2019. Uh, they're picking up a lot of the recommendations. There's still work to be done. Uh, there is, make no mistake, is, is that the schools in Florida today are exponentially safer than they were on February 14th of 2018 uh, when Stoneman Douglas occurred. But there's still work to be done. Uh, there's still uh, improvements that need to be made. Uh, the commission will begin uh, meeting again this year and probably come back with additional recommendations. Uh, but we all need to work together. Uh, at the end of the day, there's nothing more important than the safety of, the, of our kids and the safety of the schools. And while there has been progress, uh, we, there's still room, especially in the area of behavioral threat assessments, site hardening, and making sure that those can campuses are as safe as they can be. Because at the end of the day is, is that the parents have a right to expect that when their kids go to school in the morning, they're coming home alive in the afternoon. And it's our obligation to meet that expectation. And, you know, that's not a, you know, the world's coming to an end drama, that drama statement. That, that's reality is that, you know, February 14th of 2018, you had uh, 34 people uh, that went to school or went to work in the morning and 17 of them never left that building alive. Uh, you know, in three minutes and 51 seconds, uh, uh, havoc was wreaked and lives were ended. And we never need to experience that again. And that's what we need to make sure happens. So again, we made good progress. We're working, working well with the schools. Uh, they've moved the needle, but uh, we're still not where we need to be. Do you ever see a day where kids don't have to worry about this sort of thing? Or is, is it just, that's the way it is. It's the new norm. It's a new norm. Uh, it's a totally changed environment. Uh, the reality, and this is a very hard thing to say, but the absolute reality is, is that it's going to happen again. The only question is when and where. But I suggest to everybody, uh, the real question we need to ask ourselves every day is what are we doing differently today than what was being done on February 14th, 2018 that allowed 34 people to be shot and or killed in three minutes and 51 seconds? That's the real question because it's going to happen again. And you see it time and again. I mean, look at California school shootings. You look at the church shooting in Texas. You look at it. It's going to happen again, and we have to be prepared for it. There is a new norm. Um, this is just going to continue. Our guest today on Sunrise Interview, Sheriff Bob Galtieri, Pinellas County, head of the Florida Sheriff's Association. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Your calendar of events begins with the House Criminal Justice Subcommittee, which is meeting at 8 a.m. to hear Representative Mel Ponder's bill allowing elected officials to bring guns to local government meetings. The Interfaith Coalition for Reproductive Health and Justice and Catholics for Choice will hold a legislative prayer breakfast at 8 a.m. The House Agriculture and Natural Resources Appropriations Subcommittee meets at 9 to take up a bill by Representative Jason Fisher, allowing employees of the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission and the Florida Forest Service to use aerial drones in managing and eradicating invasive plants and species. The House Transportation and Tourism Appropriations Subcommittee meets at 9 to consider a proposal by Representative Jamie Grant that would make a series of changes related to license plates, including the creation of some new specialty plates. The Senate Criminal Justice Committee meets at 1.30 to hear a bill by Chairman Keith Perry creating tougher penalties for people who assault transit workers, such as bus drivers. 
The Senate Agriculture Committee meets at 1.30 and will take up a bill by Senator Lauren Book trying to prevent the declawing of cats. The procedure would only be allowed if it's necessary for a therapeutic purpose. The Senate Judiciary Committee meets at 4 to consider a claims bill that would compensate 76-year-old Clifford Williams, who was imprisoned for 43 years for a murder he did not commit. At 4, the Senate Banking and Insurance Committee will take up a bill by Senator Kelly Stargell that would prevent insurance companies from using your genetic information to make policy decisions about life insurance, long-term care insurance, and disability insurance. Also at 4, the Senate Children, Families, and Elder Affairs Committee will also consider a bill by Senator Dennis Baxley to create a Florida Guide to a Happy Marriage. Speaking of which, a Florida woman is accused of misusing the 911 system by calling and texting to complain about her husband. Police say 69-year-old Sylvia Shoemaker of Largo contacted 911 several times to ask for things like a counselor and how to file for divorce. When officers arrived at her home, they say she was highly intoxicated and Shoemaker was charged with misuse of the 911 system. Deputies in Collier County arrested a Florida man accused of punching another customer at a Chick-fil-A drive through The victim told deputies he picked up his order but couldn't drive off because another vehicle was blocking the way. He honked and the guy responded with a hand gesture. He honked again and the guy got out of his car and punched him through the window. A passenger got the picture of the assailant's tag and deputies arrested 62-year-old Thomas Anderson on a charge of burglary with battery. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Sarah Mueller reporting for Florida Politics. Host Rick Flagg will be back tomorrow morning after escaping jury duty. (laughs) 